Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the ministry apprentices here, and I'm really looking forward to diving into God's Word together. So let's pray as we do that. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that despite uh, everything going on in the world, we can still come together in some sense as your people, uh, that we can sing, we can come before you in prayer, and we can hear from your Word as well. So we thank you for the technology that allows us to do that despite the distance, and we pray that your Spirit would be at work. Uh, that you would be, through your word, shaping us and molding us into the image of your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I knew I was going to be preaching for the first time this Sunday, but this is definitely not how I thought that was going to look. I didn't think I was going to be sitting in my lounge looking at a camera. Um, but I do hope that you're all keeping well as you watch this from your homes. And I'm hoping that this time around lockdown isn't as long. Um, but if lockdown in general has taught me one thing, it's how easy it is to waste time. I remember going into lockdown with a whole list of things that I wanted to do, things I wanted to learn, books I wanted to read, uh, jobs I needed to get done around home. And I remember coming out of lockdown disappointed at how little of that I'd actually accomplished. It kind of felt like my to-do list was the same as when I'd started. I felt like I'd wasted my time and I hadn't used the opportunities that I'd had. Maybe you felt the same way about it. Or maybe you felt like the whole lockdown was a waste of time, that you weren't able to work or study and you couldn't go out and do the things that you wanted to, that you couldn't spend time with the people that you'd wanted to. The whole lockdown might have felt like you were just sitting around in your own home wasting time. And we really hate that feeling, that feeling that we've wasted time. Most of us, we want to be able to look back over our lives and say that our lives mattered and we used that time well, that our lives counted for something. The last thing we want is to feel that we wasted our lives, that we haven't accomplished anything. Now, as we look at this section of Philippians, we'll see that living a meaningful life is not about trying to make everything meaningful, but recognizing one thing as more meaningful than everything else. So let's look at the passage, starting in verse 3, and see Paul address what it means to be the people of God. For we are the circumcision the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Now Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, who aren't all Jews, and he says that we are the circumcision. That's a pretty strange thing to start off. Um, I'm guessing you haven't said that to many of your friends recently. But circumcision was a part of Jewish culture. It was what God had commanded Abraham and all of his descendants to do in order to mark them out as his people. It separated them from the other nations around. Here though, Paul seems to be giving a different definition of what it means to be the circumcision. He says, it's the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Those are now the marks of being God's people. It's not circumcision itself or any other religious practices that make us God's people. It's worshiping by the Spirit, boasting in Jesus, and not putting confidence in our flesh. Now, those three things are really making the same point. They're describing someone who relies on God's work on their behalf rather than their own. So if we look first at worshipping by the Spirit, it's recognizing that we can't please God on our own. Our religious activities and those kinds of things, they aren't enough to earn God's favor. Romans 8, uh, Romans 8 explains that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. See, it's God giving us His Spirit and making us alive in Him that allows us to be pleasing to God. Boasting in Jesus communicates the very same thing, that we don't boast in or celebrate what we've accomplished, 
but we boast in what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. We don't put confidence in our flesh, but in Jesus. What Paul's saying is that we're God's people on the basis of Jesus' work, not our own. Now, being a part of group, uh, being a part of something bigger than ourselves, it matters to us. I remember being at Eden Park in 2015 at the Cricket World Cup semi-final. New Zealand were there playing South Africa. Uh, it was a game that came right down to the wire, right down to the last over for New Zealand to win the game. With just one ball to spare, Grant Elliott had the winning six and 40,000 people in the stadium just erupted at once. Now, I realize that some of you have already fallen asleep because I'm talking about cricket. I'm sorry. Um, but for me, it was surreal to be there, to be part of such a huge group uh, reacting perfectly in unison, celebrating the same thing. It was one of the real high points for New Zealand cricket, and it felt special to be in the group who were part of it. Now, I, I realize that's a pretty silly example in comparison to what we're talking about, because how much greater is it to be God's people? God, who is all-powerful, which is not something you could say about New Zealand cricket, uh, has chosen us to be his people. If you look back through the Old Testament, you'll see the, the amazing promises that are made to Abraham, uh, becoming a nation, a nation that will be set apart for God. But you'll also see Israel fail again and again to live rightly as his people. They couldn't keep the covenant that God had made with them. But through Jesus, we can be God's people because of his righteousness, not ours. Now that gives us an amazing confidence. If you trust in Jesus' work, you're part of God's people. You've been adopted as his children, and you can call him father. That's not a relationship that depends on our performance. Because as we look around, almost every other area in our life is evaluated based on how well we do. Whether it's your job or your studies, or, or even to some extent, the friendships and marriages that we're in can be based on how we treat one another. But this relationship we're talking about with God isn't like that. It's not based on how well you perform. It's based on who your father is. But God's people aren't the only group that Paul uh, wants to draw our attention to through this passage. There's also the dogs. Um, as I read that out before, you might have thought I'd picked up the wrong book. Um, what do dogs have to do with anything that Paul's been talking about? Uh, we're seeing again here that, that Paul uses his harshest language for people who claim to believe in Jesus, but teach something different. So this group, uh, who we call the, could call the false worshippers, uh, they teach the opposite from Paul. They teach that you need more than just Jesus' work to be right with God. In this particular case in Philippi, uh, they're saying you need Jesus and you need to follow the Jewish law, like getting circumcised. So let's have a look again at verse 2. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now this is, this is Paul mocking what the group is teaching. See, Paul warns the Philippians here to watch out for this group, and he describes them as dogs, as evil workers, and as those who mutilate the flesh. You've probably picked up that these guys aren't Paul's best friends, but they aren't just random insults that he's hurling around either. He's, he's directly attacking what they're teaching. See, in that time, dogs was a, a derogatory way that Jews would refer to non-Jewish people. These teachers are coming along and they're saying that you have to become a Jew to really be saved. By calling them dogs, Paul's taking that away from them. He's saying that they aren't really even Jews to begin with. He also calls them evil workers. They're working as some sort of missionaries or gospel workers, if you want to call them that. But actually, they're evil workers because they have a false gospel. More than that, they're coming along saying that you need good works to be right with God, but their own works are evil. 
Paul's pointing out the hypocrisy there. And lastly, he calls them those who mutilate the flesh. They're coming in, they're teaching that you need circumcision to be right with God, but Paul won't give them that as a title. If we're just what we're just talking about, that title, the circumcision, is reserved for God's people, the ones trusting fully in Christ's work. And Paul says this other group isn't teaching circumcision, they're teaching mutilation. Now, I'm guessing you probably haven't had many people come up to you recently and say that to be right with God, you need to follow the Old Testament law, that you need to get circumcised and start sacrificing animals to God, that you need to celebrate all the feasts and festivals and you need to stop eating bacon. But that doesn't mean that we don't face the same dangers. We have to ask ourselves, is there anything in me that I think makes God look at me more favorably? Do I think I'm more pleasing to God than the person next to me because of something I've done. See, if that's how you're thinking, you're not boasting in Jesus, you're actually putting confidence in yourself. That's exactly what was wrong with what these people were teaching, and Paul doesn't speak kindly about them. But what about if you're listening today and you kind of feel the opposite to that? You don't think you're so great, you think, I'm not worthy of God's love, I've done too much wrong, there's no way he could accept me. That's really saying the same thing, actually. It's, it's still acting like it's possible to be good enough for God on your own, from your own merit, and it's still making it about yourself and your own works rather than about what Jesus has done. But which end of that kind of spectrum do you think you lean more towards? Is it towards pride in what you've accomplished, or is it feeling that you're too far gone? Now, I've often leant towards thinking that I'm kind of more deserving of God's grace than other people. You know, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, my life's been pretty respectable, I think. I haven't done a lot of the wrong things that lots of other people have. I've worked hard in church to be involved and be serving. Uh, God's kind of lucky to have me. Um, now, I don't really think that, but the temptation is definitely there. I have to keep coming back to passages like this that remind me that I'm God's because of His work, not mine. We need to remember that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. We rely 100% on him, or we aren't actually relying on him at all. But it's more than just watching ourselves as well, because Paul actually says three times to watch out for people who teach this. So if someone comes along teaching that we must have good works to be right with God, we need to be alert to that. We should try to correct it where we can. We should guard ourselves from falling into it. And we need to teach others of why that's wrong and why it's so dangerous. We can't accept this kind of teaching as if it's just a minor disagreement between Christians, but we can get along on everything else. This is fundamental to the gospel. It's fundamental to what we believe. Paul says the same thing in the book of Galatians, where he says, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. This isn't something Paul takes lightly. This is at the core of the gospel, and we have to hold on to it. Now, you might be hearing this and thinking, this sounds like just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Maybe Paul wasn't as godly as the other teachers who were there. Maybe he didn't follow God's law. And this is just his way of justifying himself. He's jealous of what the other teachers have accomplished. And he's kind of trying to bring them down to his level. That's why Paul brings in his kind of spiritual CV here. To show that this wasn't his motivation at all. In fact, if it was possible to earn your way to pleasing God, Paul would have been the one to do it. Let's have a look again, starting in verse 4. I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Now, if you want to hold up a religious report card of some kind, this is exactly what you want it to look like. Paul would have felt the temptation to hold up his works to God or to those around him. And that's our next point, the temptation of works. Because Paul said he was born to Jewish parents who were God's people, and he was circumcised on the eighth day just as God had commanded. Not only an Israelite, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of Jacob's favorite sons, and the first king of Israel, Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew born of Hebrews, he says. He wasn't just ethnically Jewish, but he was culturally Jewish as well. His family hadn't moved on from their kind of Jewish culture and gone on with the Greek or Roman way of life, but they'd stayed committed to their Hebrew heritage. Now, these things will describe Paul's background, but even when it came to the choices he made independently, he did what seemed right before God. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. Now, we often have negative kind of connotations when we hear that. We think of religious hypocrites, but that's not what Paul meant. Pharisees at the time were highly regarded. People who took God's law seriously, they studied it, they loved it, and they obeyed it. He was also zealous for God, so zealous that he persecuted the Christian church. He was so committed to following God that he would throw people in prison if he thought they were teaching the wrong things about God. Before the law, he was blameless. Like any good Pharisee, he kept all of the laws and ceremonies and rituals. He only ate food that was clean. He observed the Sabbath and all the rest of it. He was the Michael Jordan of Judaism. But look what he says about that. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. See, none of these things added anything to Paul's standing before God. Something changed for Paul that many actually considered them a loss. See, he'd seen Christ and he recognized that his own efforts, they really meant nothing at all. All of the religious service and passion in the world was just a complete waste of time and energy if he didn't have Christ. He had way more to boast in than you or I do, but he still considered it all a loss. In lots of different ways, we can look at Paul's life and, and we see an amazing man. He was disciplined and devoted. He was well-educated. He planted churches all over the known world. He wrote huge parts of the Bible that we're reading from today. But none of this added to a standing before God. So even when we recognize that we're saved by Jesus' work alone, there's still a temptation to hold up your works to God or in front of other people. I see that pride in myself way too often, where I think or act like God needs me and my skills. Even as I was preparing the sermon for today, there's a part of me that, that wants to look good when people see me, that I want them to see me as something special, rather than recognizing that it's God word, God's word and it's His Spirit that are powerful to work. I can think that working for church full-time and, and preaching today and, and that kind of stuff, they somehow prove to God that I'm valuable. Now, I know that's not right, but if I'm honest, I can slip into thinking like that. We all have to keep working at killing our own pride. Now, the question this might be kind of raising is, well, does it matter at all how I live? Well, we saw last week that we do need to work at living out our faith, but we must have the right perspective about our works. We view our efforts as the only right response to what Jesus has done. But when you compare them to what Jesus has done, they're nothing. Anything we do, 
anything we do with respond with is only because of God's spirit working in us that allows us to worship him rightly. I wonder where that temptation is for you. It could be the way you serve at church or the way you give financially to people in need. Whatever it is, we need to recognize that it's all God's work in you and be grateful for it. Paul doesn't stop there though. He continues by saying, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Now Paul placed knowing Jesus over everything else. It wasn't just his heritage and his religious background that he considered loss, but everything. Everything is lost. Everything is dung, he says, compared to knowing Jesus. It feels wrong to be reading through the Bible and come across the word dung, but that's, that's how Paul saw it. That's how worthless he saw everything in his life compared to knowing Jesus. It's also important to hear as we read through this what Paul isn't saying. He isn't saying that you have to throw away everything you own to get into heaven. He's just said pretty clearly that it's not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done. So that can't be what he means. But he is calling it all loss compared to knowing Jesus. See, the more you see Jesus, the less those other things will have a hold on you. Whether we're living comfortably or we lose everything we have, we can still be holding on to Jesus. That's where Paul's security came from. That's where his joy came from. This knowing Jesus that Paul talks about, it wasn't just an intellectual knowledge about Jesus either. There's more than just having studied God's word. This idea of knowing means more than that. It really means to know experientially. Paul had experienced Jesus' work in his own life and knew Jesus through having a relationship with him. In John chapter 10, where Jesus called himself a good shepherd, he says this. He says, I know my own and my own know me. Paul experienced the privilege of knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. He considered this so valuable that he was willing to lose everything else in his life to have it. See, I can struggle with this a little bit sometimes. It's really easy for me to deal with God on an intellectual level. Uh, I can try and understand him and I can try and understand how the Bible fits together can be kind of cerebral. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but knowing Jesus can't stop there. I have to remember that God is relational and I can't treat him like he's an academic subject. I need to know God, just like I want to know my wife or my friends or the people I work with. I need to enjoy the privilege of having a relationship with the God who created me and who created everything else. Now, about 30 years before Paul was writing any of this, Jesus uh, was teaching in Israel and he told this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. See, Jesus describes these two men that the first finds treasure in a field and he's so excited that he joyfully sells everything he owns so that he can buy that field where he knows the treasure is. The second man is a merchant and he finds a pearl for sale that's more amazing than anything he's seen and he's so captivated by it that he sells everything he owns just to buy that one pearl. 
Um, I had an experience pretty similar to this a few years back. Uh, I'm a guitarist, and like any good guitarist, I've spent more time buying gear than playing guitar. Um, over a number of years, I'd built up a pretty decent collection of guitar pedals, uh, one by one, uh, every one of them just crucial to my sound. Um, but then I came across a piece of gear that just blew everything else out of the water. So naturally, I had to have it. So I piled up all the rest of my gear, the, my amp and my pedals and all the other stuff I owned, uh, and I sold it all so that I could buy this one thing that I needed. Now you might be thinking of something sim similar in your own life, or you might just be more responsible than me and you bought the right thing the first time around. But either way, you probably kind of resonate to some extent with that. You understand what's going on. Paul had the same experience. So he met Jesus. He saw that knowing Jesus was so valuable he would happily give up anything else in his life for it. His heritage, his religious background, his respect in Jewish culture, his physical comforts and health, it was all meaningless compared to knowing Jesus. If he pursued any of those other things, he would have wasted his life, chasing after things that could never really satisfy him, while ignoring that priceless pearl sitting right in front of him. So we have to ask ourselves, do we see our relationship with Jesus like that? Do we see it the way Paul saw it? It might be that you're hearing this today and you just don't get what all the fuss is about Jesus. Why is he so important? Why is he so valuable? Through this passage, God is saying today that all of those other things you might chase in life are worthless. They're dung, is what the passage said. Your best efforts won't bring you closer to God and you won't find any real satisfaction in anything else. God's calling us to stop boasting in ourselves and in our accomplishments or our positions and, and depend fully on his son, Jesus. If you want to find out more about who Jesus is and, and what that might look like, I'd really encourage you to spend some time just reading through one of the Gospels in the Bible. Take the Gospel of John. Uh, there are plenty of Bible apps that you can get for free or you can read it online. But, but spend some time going through and really see who Jesus is. See what it is that Paul saw that captivated him so much. But maybe you are trusting in Jesus. You're one of God's people, as we talked about earlier on. This passage really challenges us to think through what that priceless pearl is for us. Is it really God's kingdom? Is it knowing Jesus and being known by him? Do we see everything else, our careers and possessions, our reputation and comfort, our security, as worthless compared to that? Where are the things that you would struggle to let go of? that if push came to shove, would, would drag you away from being found in Jesus when he returns. I know as I look back at my own life, security's often been an idol for me, really. Uh, wanting to be ready for any unexpected expense has stopped me being generous. As I thought about joining the staff team here at EV, my job security and wanting a stable, successful career really weighed on me, and I, I had to wrestle through that as I was making those decisions. What I had to learn was that if I live for security or I live for my career, I will look back and realize that my life was wasted. None of those things are actually going to matter in the end. As I look forward as well, uh, Claudia and I are having our first baby next month. There's, there's a constant pull to think that the most important thing in the world is doing everything right for my daughter, sacrificing everything for the, the best cotton clothes and pram. The, I need the safest car. I need to buy a house in the, the best school zone. Without actually putting any thought, into how I'm going to model living for Jesus to her. We'd end up showing our daughter that the world revolves around her, 
rather than showing her that the most valuable thing she can ever pursue is knowing Jesus. It's amazing how quickly our view of the world turns what matters upside down and we end up worshipping children rather than the God who created them. Now, it could be something completely different for you, but the passage says the same thing to each one of us. Let go of everything else. Press on into knowing Jesus more. Find your fulfillment and value in Him. Even if it costs you everything like it did for Paul, you'll look back and you'll be able to rejoice in it. You'll know that you gave up everything, but it was all worth it for the prize you received, the prize of knowing Jesus. Um, I had to really face this reality a couple of months ago. Uh, this is my first year as a ministry apprentice here at EV, um, and it hasn't been an easy year. Uh, adjusting to full-time ministry has enough challenges with it without adding COVID and lockdown into the mix. Um, in lots of ways, as I was reflecting on what I was doing, it felt like I wasn't accomplishing the things I wanted to. Um, and maybe I wasn't the right person to be doing this in the first place. I kind of figured that life would be easier if I went back uh, to my old job, which I loved, um, stepped back from serving at church. I'd have more time at home, uh, more time to myself. Uh, I'd probably have more energy to do the things I wanted to, uh, more time to buy guitar pedals. Um, but it really got to a point for me where I was kind of ready to throw in the towel with it. And, and I probably would have at, at the next thing to have gone wrong. Uh, but God's word has really impacted me as I've been thinking through that, and especially as we've worked through the book of Philippians, as I see that despite all of Paul's suffering for the gospel, the time he spent in prison, he could say, to live as Christ and to die as gain. He recognized that there was something greater than the here and now to live for. And I was struck by how quickly I was ready to give up when it was hard and turn back to a more comfortable life. But as I've seen this passage, I'm seeing more and more that I won't look back at my life and wish I'd had more comfort, that I'd had more time to myself or nicer holidays. I won't wish I'd slept in on a few more Sundays. Living for all those things will be a waste of my life. I want to be able to look back and see that I gave up things that are ultimately worthless to hold on to Jesus, who is infinitely more valuable. And as Paul spoke to the Philippians uh, over 2,000 years ago, he, he's speaking to you and me here today. A meaningful life is not about trying to make everything meaningful, but it's about recognizing Jesus as more meaningful than everything else and living fully, completely, and radically for him. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your son. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't. Our works could never make us right with you, but your son came and he, he lived in our place and he died taking the punishment that we deserved as well. We thank you for that and we pray that we would never move past the, the joy of being in relationship with you through your son's work. Please would we see that more and more, how beautiful that is, how amazing it is to share in that. Would you keep helping us to let go of the things that drag us away and keep living for him, living for relationship with him and in gratitude to him. So please would you do that. There, there are so many things in our life that, that would pull us away, that would distract us, uh, the things that we want to chase after. So I pray you would keep us coming back to your word. Keep seeing the example of Paul. Keep seeing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pray that you would strengthen us and help us to do this. In your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. 
We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.